You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and we are delighted to be able to have a chat with Andy Irvine. And Andy is going to be here in Ottawa, uh, and that is on the 21st of the month. Uh, that is at St. Bridget's Centre for the Arts down on uh, Patrick Street. And you'll be able to get tickets for that if you visit Andy's site, and that's andyirvine.com. And uh, he is on a Canadian tour which gets started on the 17th and runs until the 29th. And he's covering Ontario and heading out into New Brunswick, into Nova Scotia, uh, getting to see all the wonderful spots around this time of the year because it's a beautiful time to come to Canada. Andy, thanks a million for taking the time and coming along for a bit of a chat. Well, thank you very much, Austin, for inviting me. Uh, I do feel I must immediately correct you because... I'm actually on tour in uh, Canada until the um, 8th of August. I, you are indeed. I didn't look down. You're into Newfoundland. That's right. Correct. Yes. I thought you were, you were maybe uh, uh, thinking Newfoundland was a different country. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will admit it's a different time zone, but it, it's a, <laughs> it is a wonderful, it's a fantastic spot. I love Newfoundland. I really do love Newfoundland, and it's a brilliant spot. Yeah, you're down there until the 8th of August. Um, so, yeah, you're, com- you're coming in and heading, starting in Toronto and heading east from there on the 17th. But as I look at your bio, Andy, I, yeah. uh, well, I do know where to start, but there's so much. You've had such a full life starting out uh, in the, uh, as an actor as a, as a, right. and migrating into music. I did. I started out as a, as a child actor. When I was about nine years old, um, my sister sent photographs of me, unbeknownst to my parents or me, to an agent, and uh, and I made a film in 1950. That's how old I am. Uh, with uh, well, among others, um, well, actually, Bonner Colino, who I always thought was Canadian, but I think he was actually American. Um, but of course, there were a lot of Canadian actors in uh, in Britain. Uh, after the war, and uh, I, and he was one of them. But uh, it was it was notable for the fact that Gina Lolla Brigida, it was her very first film, if anybody remembers Gina Lolla Brigida, uh, and um, unfortunately she was uh, filmed in Italy, and I was filmed in London, and so we never met. But as I was only nine years old, I don't think she would have been particularly interested in me anyway. So that was where you were in films. But you also went on to stage and live theatre. Oh, I did, yes. I, I did a lot of television as well. And, yeah. uh, and I had my little moment of um, fame for a TV show, a TV play I played the lead in called The Magpies. Uh, it's all a long time ago, but I, I, I remember it vividly because... Uh, when I'd go on the underground in London, uh, very often young girls would come up and ask for my autograph. I was about 15, 14 at the time. Right. So I was, I was yes, I had my moment, but uh, it's a long time ago. That's great for the ego at 15 years of age. Yes, it is, yes. <laughs> can, I have your, can I have your autograph, but don't put your phone number on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the acting influence, aside from your sister sending a photograph in, where was the artistic background then that was in the family? Well, my mother was a musical comedy actress uh, before the war, and uh, she, as I always say, she, she gave up the stage when I was born, but she never gave up acting. 
<laughs> on a, a weekend, she'd uh, be entertaining whole pubs with uh, the songs that, that she had sung when she was younger. And um, and she was much loved. And people, I suppose with the aid of a few gin and tonics, uh, she had huge fan base and uh, uh, was much loved by everybody around. So you then in a w- transitioned uh, or got into music in the early 60s? That's right. Yes, I did. I, I um I started off with uh, Lonnie Donegan, if you, if anybody remembers yeah, him. My old man's a dustman. Well, before that, yes, okay. he he got a bit commercial. Once he got commercial, I dropped out of of, of his uh, circle. But um, but he led me on to Woody Guthrie, and that was where I really started. Right. And then, um, at what point did you consider that music was where you wanted to be rather than stage or TV or, or film? Well, I think, you know, I was, I, was ter- I was totally nerveless as a child actor. But once I got to the age of about, uh, I'd say about 16, uh, hormonal change uh, created this... Um, uh, terrible uh, self-awareness and I was not a great actor after that I, I did continue until I was about uh, 21 but from certainly from the age of 18 I uh, considered that music was my future and not acting So Andy when you say that and you say how you were a nervous actor in many cases you know you, the fear and the um, nervousness is often before somebody opens their mouth with the first line or the first song was it was it in anticipation or did you relax once you actually got going? You mean as an actor? Yeah. Well, you know, I had been up until the age of sixteen. I didn't, I didn't have a nerve in my body, and, and and most of the plays on TV I'd be in were live. Uh, there was no such thing as as uh, as tape, videotape at that time, and uh, some somehow when I when I reached the age of sixteen. I began to get a lot of parts uh, as a schoolboy with other schoolboys, and I was no longer regarded as, uh, you know, as a child actor, you, you are regarded by the director and even the other stars of the show with a certain uh, respect because they don't really know how to handle you. But once you get to 16, you're just an annoying teenager. And I, I just lost all confidence at that point, and... Uh, it never, it never really came back, and you know, for the next five years after that, I, I continued acting because my parents had uh, put a lot of, um, well, they'd done a lot to allow me to become an actor and leave, leave my studies. Um, but when I got to twenty-one, I was by that time I was definitely a musician. Um, your first professional um, gig or your first professional performance. Where and when? Well, apart from playing at uh, being being a, being hired to play at uh, um, birthday parties, I, I, I did a couple of them. But my first my first ever gig was where it's it's quite hard. You know, I, I do remember a very early gig uh, in Dublin where the Dubliners uh, asked me would I take over their show in uh, in the Abbey Tavern and House. Uh, and um, because they were they were going on tour in in uh, Britain, and they wouldn't be there the following week, 
So I did that. I mean, I, I bless their hearts for thinking I could possibly do it. Right. I, 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 at that age and at that point in my career, I was hardly uh, a worthwhile stand-in for the Dubliners. But um, that would have been about 1963. I'd have been about uh, 21 then. Yeah. And Andy, at that stage, when you said that the uh, Dubliners asked you to do a stand-in for them, you obviously then were on the music scene, but not in a full professional capacity where you were coming in contact with uh, Ronnie Drew, Lou Kelly, and the guys, and other musicians as well. Well, yes, we all drank in O'Donoghue's pub. That was the the uh, the crucial the, the crucial time of my life was uh, from 1962 until. Till I went to Eastern Europe in 1968. It was August 1962 when I first set foot in O'Donoghue. A world of music, friends and booze opened up before me. I never could have guessed as I walked through the door just what the future had in store. A crossroads for my life I saw lying there to taunt me. I more or less lived in O'Donoghue's pub, 15 Marion Road, Dublin 2, telephone 62807. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and Ronnie and Barney and Luke uh, were, and Kieran Burke were, were my uh, close friends there, yeah. Johnny Moynihan in his fusty coat was the first to play there in Merriam Road when he brought the bazooki to Ireland, you know. Way storm along, John. Addy and Maureen O'Donoghue, Kieran Burke, Luke Kelly, Ronnie Drew, Barney McKenna and me and you in the early 1960s. They were very well aware of your talent, so I'm sure I had the confidence to be able to say stand in for us. And around that time was when Sweeney's Men was formed. That's right, in 1966. And that would have been, aside from the um, solo out, out in Hoth, would Sweeney's Men then really have been the transition? I think so, yeah. You know, I, I'd been playing with, uh, like Sweeney's Men originally was Johnny Moynihan and... Uh, 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 a man called Joe Dolan from Galway, not to be mixed up with uh, the other Joe Dolan from Mullingar. We had we we played around, uh, we played at Flatfields and things like that. We were we were not musical strangers to each other, but in 1966, Joe and myself uh, were employed by uh, a hotel in Galway called the Ender Hotel, and. Uh, we played. We were to play there all summer, but unfortunately, Joe had a, a row with the owner after about ten days, and we were kicked out. But uh, Johnny said, "Well, let's form, let's form a trio and let's travel the country," and, and uh, that's what we did. And gradually, by the end of that summer, we were professional musicians. And it would have been Sweeney's Men then was your initial recording. Yes, that was the first time I recorded was. Uh, with Sweeney's Man, The Old Maid in the Garret, uh, in 1967. Yeah, yeah, yeah that uh, certainly was on everybody, like it was on the tip of everyone's tongue around that time. I remember it very well. Um, yes, it got to number six or something in the hip parade. But because at that time, you could never tell whether it actually really sold enough copies to be number six or whether your manager had a garage full of, 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 the, uh, of the single. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think the hit parade really reflected particularly uh, adequately. But we were six in the hit parade, and that, that was all about it. And, and, uh, and nobody thought of... Any, any of the worst for that. 
funny man at all that would marry me for pity and it's so dear me how will it be if I die an old maid in the garage oh will I the way home for there's nobody heeding there's nobody heeding to poor Annie's bleeding and I'll away home to my own wee bit garden if I can't get a man then I'll surely get a parrot for it's all dear me how will it be if I die an old maid in the garden in the 70s you linked up with Donald Lunny and there was Planksty um, Christy Moore, Paul Brady, McCanley. Uh, at that stage, you're really into uh, a whole folk scene in Ireland. Yes, indeed, yes. And not just in Ireland, but uh, all over Europe. Um, like Planksty played in, in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, uh, all over Europe, in fact. And... Uh, when when Planksty came to a, a halt the first time in 1975, um, Paul and myself uh, became a duo, and we had a, a great deal of success. But but Paul was was uh, Paul was um, Paul got married about that time, and he he wanted to get to commit more time to to his wife, and so I travelled the world then with Mick Hanley, and that and we had a great time. That was brilliant. We laughed our way across Europe. So Andy, did you ever have to pinch yourself and say, this is really happening, this is kind of um, what I had hoped for and it's coming true? I, you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure that I ever did, Austin. I, I, uh, uh, I don't remember doing that. But I, of course, when, when something good happened, like uh, the, 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 the first main Planksty gig in, in uh, Galway in 1972, Supporting Donovan, um, that was a, 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 an almighty success for us, and uh, that that was uh, yes, I probably would have pinched myself at that point, but I, I pinched myself with a bottle of vodka, and that that was good enough. <laughs> so then, uh, the other thing I would have to say when it comes to pinching yourself with something like that, that oftentimes the um, Shores or the Irish Sea and the Atlantic Ocean represent a barrier to the rest of the world. So to be able to take your music globally and to have audiences globally appreciate your music, that also must have been in some way a bit of a pinch me moment or lifestyle. Yes, it was. And of course, it was comparatively new. Um, like, obviously, musicians and, and bands had been, been going to America and Canada for some time before that. But uh, Europe opened up uh, about that time and uh, and we were we were one of the Planksy was one of the first to take advantage of that and uh, and it was it was quite wonderful to be to be to be, to be uh, popular in in foreign countries where there was a kind of sometimes a language barrier uh, and uh, also being paid in foreign currency was a very exciting uh, uh, a very exciting thing. Not that we were paid a lot. I mean, Planksty had huge success, but they, they, it wasn't matched by the, the amount of money we made, unfortunately. And that actually raises an interesting question, because when you are, from an early part of your career, very well known, a lot of success, number six with uh, Sweeney's Men, 
and uh, one would see that that type of engagement across the world where you were getting gigs should have given you remuneration that would kind of say, yeah, this is reflective of success. But folk music, well, was, it wasn't at that point then. No, it wasn't. We made, we made a living. and mm-hmm. we made a, uh, I think we probably made a good living, although I do remember times where uh, the mortgage of the house that, that uh, I bought was uh, a problem and, and where to find the money for that. But, um, yes, we are, well, let's put it this way. We thankfully earned more money than I was used to before that. Right. So certainly I was happy enough uh, with the success and the amount of money we did make. So, And in a way, where I'm, where I'm coming from is, you mentioned the Joe Dolan from Galway and the Joe Dolan from Mullingar. The Joe Dolan from Mullingar was probably making a lot more money than you at that stage then. <laughs> I think he probably was, yes. <laughs> and uh, the Galway dollar from the, the, the Joe Dolan from Galway, uh, whatever he made, uh, went down his throat in bottles. Right. So, uh, so you've been able to maintain a, a long career, and you are with the generation that have been greatly influential in Irish music. When you mention Paul Brady, there's Christy Moore. Um, Donald Lunny, McHanley, um, Dick Gaughan, a lot more have survived when so many other uh, in the artistic field, whether it be acting, whether it be uh, any, a lot of things, there's a difficulty surviving. You've been able, along with your colleagues from that period, have been able to sustain the, the audiences. That's correct. Um Ever since, uh, well, after Paul Brady, of course, Planksy got back together again. And uh, then I was in a band called Patrick Street, mm-hmm. which, which did play in Canada, played in Canada quite often. Um, but yes, I, 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 for some, I mean, t- I'm touching wood here. Uh, but uh, all, the, all the bands that I was ever in since then have all been uh, pretty successful. And, uh, well, I, yeah, I, I want to say I don't, have far, I don't have a long way to go anymore, but that sounds a bit maudlin, so I, I won't say that. <laughs> Your, the instrument that you chose ended up, you modified or tuned in order to introduce entire music. Yes, I did. I did. The whole thing was, you know, we all started off with mandolins, and uh, the mandolin is a, is, a, is a lovely instrument, but it's... It, it doesn't have an awful lot of depth. So it's seeking for more depth with uh, uh, deeper notes was uh, uh, um, a journey that, that we all made. Um, I had, for instance, in Planksty, I, I, mean, I, 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 I had played the bazooki by that time, but uh, Donald Lunny was, was uh, the bazooki player in Planksty, and I played... Uh, I played the mandolin, and then I, I, I introduced the, the Portuguese guitar and the German Waldschiffer. Uh I modified these to, to be more what you might call these days a mandola, and um, and that's what I, that's what I played in, in Plankstead, from mandolin to, to mandola. Yeah. So at this stage in your career, um, a lot of people would say that the type of tour that you're about to engage in is hectic and younger people would kind of 
run frightened from it uh, with a schedule that you've lined up. Um, obviously, you still love getting out there. You love I am being on the road. You love getting the uh, being in front of the audiences right across the uh, the world. I do. I love it. And uh, and I mean, not to say that Canada is a uh, is remote, but uh, I like to play in in. I love to play in places where most people wouldn't go, and uh, I don't know why that is. But I, I, I um, I've never, I also never balked at uh, at a really um, full tour, and this one is is fairly full. I mean, the size of the size of Canada, the size of e- even of, of the eastern part of Canada, mm-hmm. is enormous. So uh, there'll be a lot of driving. But I'm I'm uh, I'm bringing my wife along, and uh, she's she's a bit like me in that she loves to drive. Okay. And what we should do is give the dates and the locations because, as I say, you start out on the 17th of July, and that is in Toronto. The 19th, yeah. 20th, you're up in Perth at the festival up there, which is just an hour outside of Ottawa. Uh, All right, okay, yeah. And then the 21st, you're into Ottawa uh, for the St. Bridget's. And then I see on Monday, yeah. uh, you're down to Montreal on Monday the 22nd. And then uh, New Brunswick the 24th, the 25th, 26th, uh, before you hit Nova Scotia for the 27th, 28th, 29th. Yeah. And then over to Newfoundland uh, from the 1st to the 8th of August. Uh, certainly a very full That's tour, been, and you're not you're yeah. not resting on your laurels then because you then start, head to the UK in September, I see, and then in um, back in Ireland in October, and back for another comprehensive tour in the UK, uh, October as it or November. October. Well, that, that's a tour I do every uh, eighteen months, and and it, that is uh, that is the height of lunacy, really, because I, I think I have one day off in uh, something like five weeks. Um, but I always could do it, and I refuse to admit that I can't do it anymore. So, well, if you, again, if you're able to enjoy it, and that is one of the great things about a career that yeah. you've been able to do, is where, in many ways, you've been your own boss, so you can select, and uh, you, you, it's what so many people yearn for. It's like somebody, I, I think, oh. I, I heard that Christy Moore, when he was being interviewed once, someone said to him, you know, if you had stayed in the bank, you'd, have been able to, you'd be on a fine pension now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what Christy's answer to that was. Uh, Andy, yeah, we should. Well, I never had. I, you know, I, I, I was never in the bank, and I never had any other uh, employment than uh, uh, acting or playing music. So I've been very lucky in, in being able to, to do what what I love doing and uh, earning my living from it. Fantastic. Well, Andy, we'll again, we'll give the coordinates. If you want to get tickets for any of Andy's gigs, uh, go to andyirvine.com and you'll find it there under the gigs and there's a get ticket button across from each location. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you here when you get into Ottawa. Um, really looking forward to that. And I know it's be a fantastic night. And I want to thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you for having me, Austin. It's always a pleasure to, to talk to somebody nice uh, thousands of miles away. It was August 1962 when I first set foot in O'Donoghue's, a world of music friends.
things and things Hastening towards me I never could have guessed As I walked through the door Just what the future had in store A crossroads for my life I saw Lying there before me